Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Portionality Podcast. I am your host, Portia Williams-Gates. I am super excited to be back here with another episode. And I didn't come alone this time. I actually have some guests as this is a special episode between myself and Dr. Fuller and Reverend Maxell of Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. That's right. We've got an episode with Pittsburgh Theological Seminary as they are launching a brand new doctor of ministry program called Risking Faithfully. Yes, you heard right. Risking Faithfully. I am super excited about this program that is launching and I am excited to have this conversation with them. And so if you're interested in a doctor of ministry program, I say you need to listen up. This just might be for you. There's plenty of time to apply. But before we get into our interview, I just want to remind you, you can follow this podcast, whether you're listening on Google, Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, wherever you're getting your your podcast, you can listen to this podcast. Thank you for listening. Please rate, comment, and subscribe. All that good stuff. And I hope you're following me over at Portionality on all platforms. And so without further ado, let's get into this conversation. I'm really excited about it. Greetings, everyone. We are here with our guests for today. We are excited to have with us Professor Leanna Fuller, and we're excited to have with us Reverend Jennifer Maxell with us on today to talk about Pittsburgh Theological Seminary and their new demon program, Risking Faithfully. And so I'm super excited to welcome them to the show. Welcome, Professor Fuller and Reverend Maxell. Welcome, welcome. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. Thank you. Great. I'm so excited that you all are here. Um, let's have some introductions. So, Professor Fuller, would you please mind, um, if you don't mind, if you would, uh, please introduce yourself to our show. Thank you. Really glad to be here. My name is Leanna Fuller. I serve as Associate Professor of Pastoral Care at Pittsburgh Theological Seminary. And just a little bit about me, I'm an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ. And uh, my background is primarily in congregational ministry and a little bit of hospital chaplaincy as well. And I've been teaching at the seminary for about seven years. Wonderful, wonderful. And Reverend Maxell. Hi, everybody. I am Jennifer Watley Maxell. I am an ordained minister in the AME tradition, and um, I am a co-pastor of a church plant in Smyrna, Georgia. I actually also work with the Ministry Collaborative, where I am the um, program curator, which is what brings me to this um, conversation. And I'm actually excited to be working with this DMIN program as the facilitator. So I wear a couple of different hats um, which I think is, is you know, part of my own kind of risking faithfully journey. So, yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So um, could you tell us a little bit more about uh, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary as an institution? Sure, I'd be glad to. Um, Pittsburgh Theological Seminary is a seminary associated with the Presbyterian Church USA. That's our parent denomination. However, we're a seminary that serves people from all different faith traditions. We have United Methodists and Episcopalians and Baptists and most uh, every other kind of faith tradition you can imagine. Um, So we are in that respect um, very open ecumenically in terms of the students that we welcome to our seminary. Uh, We primarily focus on training people for ministry. Our students um, range 
from people who are just out of college and want to uh, train for professional ministry, um, all the way up to people who are in their 60s or 70s who may have felt a call to ministry earlier in their lives and just didn't have the opportunity to pursue theological education, or lay people who simply want additional training to um, serve in the ministries they're already participating in in their congregations. So um, we have kind of a broad range of students, which I think is pretty typical for seminaries and divinity schools. We have people kind of all across the range of the lifespan. Um, But our focus really is on preparing people for ministry, whether they have, whether they're new to ministry or whether they've been doing ministry a long time. Um, We welcome students from all different paths. And um, we do offer three different master's programs currently, as well as the doctor of ministry, which is what we're here to talk about today. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And so if you could also, you know, I also believe in, you know, the humble brag of our institution. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I graduated from YDS, that's um, Yale Divinity School. And so I want to know what separates Pittsburgh from the rest of the pack? You know, how is Pittsburgh leading and changing the world, um, you know, faithfully one day at a time? You know, can you talk a little bit more about that as well? Sure. I mean, I think that there's a variety of ways in which we're unique. Um, one of the ways is which we, in which we're unique, I think, is that we do have a focus on new communities, um, worshiping communities, faith communities through our church planting program. So we have that both as an emphasis in our Master Divinity. People can focus on church planting as part of their regular MDiv coursework. We also have a certificate program in church planting and revitalization, which has been very popular among um, folks who are already out in ministry, who are interested in forming new worship communities, or maybe they're in uh, a church that was sort of a more traditional worshiping community, but now because of all different factors um, in the culture and society, they're realizing they need to reorient their mission. And so um, folks who are practicing in those kinds of communities have been really interested in that certificate. Um, So that's one way that I think we're unique. We do have this focus, as I said earlier, on preparing people for ministry. But our seminary actually does have this special attention to new worshiping communities and revitalizing worshiping communities, which feels really important, um, especially right now. But another way I think we're unique is because we do have these varieties of Doctor of Ministry programs. Um, We have had um, programs in the Doctor of Ministry that have gone on for a long time, such as our Reformed Theology Focus. But then we have new programs as well that are really trying to respond to trends and um, things that we see going on around us today. Um, One of those is the Risking Faithfully cohort, which we're going to be talking about during this episode. But we also have new programs in creative writing and public theology and also intergenerational Black uh, black church studies, which are going to be launching soon. So in that way, I think we're trying to be responsive to the needs of the world around us. And that in itself might not be unique. I'm sure most seminaries are trying to do that. Um, But the particular shape it's taking in our institution, I think, is pretty interesting. Yeah, you know, I will say this. I think what you all are doing with the work you all are doing at PTS is absolutely phenomenal. I think you all are, from my estimation, ahead of the curve and just responding to what does the church need? What does the world need? What do the people need? And I think checking the temperature of of where we are and just doing this overall assessment of the world, I think is absolutely the process of discernment and listening and being mindful that we like to 
teach and we like to preach, right, in our context. And I think that's so just revolutionary because I think sometimes we get caught up in the traditional everydayness of like, oh, this is what we're going to do. We're going to study this theology and these set of ethics and this here and this, that, and just, and so focused a lot of times on the theory that we sometimes miss the practical things of what exactly is God doing in the world today? And so we've, we've heard this term, you know, D-Men, a doctor of ministry degree. And so I love that, right? A doctor of of ministry. And so can we talk a little bit about what is a demon? So we've talked about, uh, we've heard the term MDiv. I I have an MDiv, a master of divinity. So can we talk about this demon degree, doctor of ministry degree? And uh, what exactly is that degree for those who are not familiar with what this is? Well, a doctor of ministry degree is really a professional degree, um, which kind of differentiates it a bit from something like a PhD, which is a more research-oriented degree, although there is research involved in a doctor of ministry, but it's just a different orientation. It's it's intended for people who have been practitioners in ministry, and um, at least in our program, we define that pretty broadly, so it's not limited to people in congregational ministry, but ministry of all different types, and it's a degree that's meant to help practitioners of ministry to sort of move to the next level in their practice. It allows them the space and the time to really go deep with some of the questions that are arising for them out of their ministry contexts. Um, Typically, we do want our applicants to have had a few years experience in ministry before they apply. And um, it also is a degree that requires um, a master's degree already. So most of the time that's a master of divinity. Um, It doesn't necessarily have to be, but it needs to be a master's degree that helps prepare people for this next level of academic work. Uh, As I mentioned, it does involve some research, but it's research that's really focused on the ministry context. So it's more about understanding what your context is, um, what are the issues and the challenges that are there, what are the kinds of questions that you want to bring to that context, and what are the practices and insights that arise for you out of that research, and how does it help you become a better practitioner in ministry? So the focus really is practice all the way through. Um, That's not to say we don't have academic rigor or we don't engage text or things like that. We certainly do that, but the focus really is the practice of ministry, which is, I think, what sets it apart from other doctoral degrees. Wonderful, wonderful. I think that's really, really, really special. And I think that's really powerful about the practice of ministry and not just solely the the theory of ministry, but actually serving and bringing something fresh, bringing something new um, to the church and to the world and to uh, whether it be chaplaincy, whether the context is... is um, parish ministry, whichever the context is, it gives people the opportunity to to expand and to assess the, their specific communities. And so with this new demon program, uh, Reverend Maxell, you are the facilitator of this new 
demon program, this groundbreaking demon program. I'm just going to put it like straight like that. Groundbreaking, (laughs) (laughs) you know, something that is so different. It definitely caught my eye and just saying, wow, like this, these are conversations that we can actually have. We can, we can do this. So can you talk to me about the risking faithfully uh, demon program and how did you get involved and what is it that, you know, give me some information, give us some, some insight. This is so cool. Yeah, definitely. Um, So I work um, with the Ministry Collaborative, which is an organization that has pastors all over the country and in Scotland. And we kind of think of ourselves as like pastors to pastors. So we, we have networks, we have cohorts, and we're always really interested in where are we, but more importantly, where are we going? We have this, we always say Jesus is up ahead of us and we're running to catch up. And so in this running to catch up, Where are we going? What will we be doing? What kind of competencies do we need to um, be building? And before the pandemic even came, we were having a lot of what I think of as forward thinking conversations about where ministry is, where churches are, just where faith is in general in the culture. And so once the pandemic hit, we found that we were kind of ahead of the curve in a lot of ways. And we had already started working with Pittsburgh Seminary um, in in some other um, smaller um, iterations. And so when this opportunity came up, it really came up as a group of us sitting down and saying, okay, we're looking at where we are now. What is it that the world needs? What is it that the church can offer? Where are we in terms of culture? Where are we in terms of leadership? Just all these questions. And the things that we started to um, really focus on was the idea that being able to help people to really take bold risk that so many times in church environments and religious environments, there's so much tradition, there's so much um, stagnation, there's so um, much inability, or um, I would say a hesitancy to take risk. And yet here we are in a pandemic where we've been forced to take risks. And there's still some people who are kind of white knuckling it through and not really engaging the whole thing. Um, But we really anchored around this um, quote by C.T. Vivian that says, you were made by the struggles you choose. And so not looking at this moment and all that it is, you know, looking at the pandemic, looking at racial injustice, looking at, you know, our government, looking at the divisiveness in the country, looking at, you know, churches that are displaced and dislocated. And the reality is, even though those things are kind of front of mind, all the other stuff that existed in the church before the pandemic is still there, right? So it's not like any of that stuff has gone away. And so really looking at this idea of what does it mean to really lean into this moment of disruption and to not look at it as necessarily a negative thing, but to really look in an apocalyptic way about what is this time revealing? And then where do we go from here? How do we resurrect from this moment? And so it's really anchoring in the tensions of the now and being very explicit, I think, about where we are, what we need to be talking about, how we need to engage, and really looking um, to 
uh, come alongside people who are looking for something different and people who want to take on this moment um, and want to really push through and really committed to getting past this moment in a way that is generative for not just the church, but culture and for, you know, individuals. So um, that's how I came to this program. And, you know, the thing that I think is really cool about the program is that it literally came about of a group of us just sitting around and having some really deep, meaningful conversations about what we would like to see in the future. What is God envisioning in us? What if we could just imagine you know, our ideal program, what would that look like? And what type of competencies would we be building in people? What kind of experiences would we want people to have? And what kind of community do we want to form um, to walk this journey together for the next few years? Wow. Wonderful. Wow. 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 There's so much I could say. Like, it sounds like to me, you know, from what I'm hearing you say is there was a group of us that got together and decided to imagine and dream of a world and dream of a program that we would like to see come into the world. And based off what we hear, based off what we've discerned, based off what we witnessed in, in, in our time, what can we do that will help be an offering to to this to this world and to the church, right? I think that is beautiful because that to me is the exact definition of what it means to be the the prophet, right? New prophets of new time of this time to say, let's check and let's imagine, let's dream, let's discern and think about what is it that we need. And so when you you mentioned um, that there's like an apocalyptic change like an like a shift that is happening that is that is that is you know brewing amongst us right now so in given that and and keeping that in mind could you walk me through the the curriculum that you are trying to tailor the curriculum that you're seeking to delve into and dive and and risk faithfully into can you talk about the curriculum of the program and some of those aspects yeah, one of the things I, I want to say is that, you know, when we talked about this um, program, we really kind of looked at it two ways. One was the curriculum, but the other was the community, that we wanted to be really intentional about the community that we created and the atmosphere. And we wanted to be very upfront about what people would experience when they um, signed up for this program. And so some of the tenants that we have are, you know, our number one thing is that whiteness will be decentralized. And that for us was one of the core foundational tenants that we wanted to make sure was out there, was bold. You know, we didn't want it hidden or buried. Um, the other thing was that we are encouraging risk. This is a situation where we are encouraging boldness and thinking out of the box and confronting ideas that we may not have confronted before. Um, we are being very intentional about shifting paradigms. We are being very intentional about magnifying voices from the margins that may not have been you know, heard in this type of space before. Um, and then really allowing creative disillusionment to inspire us. And so the thing that I think is beautiful about 
starting at that point is that we are already at a point where we are, um, you know, kind of giving people permission to do and think and be differently, which I think is really exciting, um, especially because I think in this moment of paradigm shift, that there are so many of us that are having to embrace and shift and take on different roles, find ourselves in different spaces. Um, I know in some conversations, as we say things like, okay, in this racial justice moment, you know, people of color cannot do all the work. We can no longer be responsible for this. Well, one of the things that I realize is that if that is the case, then we also cannot be gatekeepers of the diversity conversation and gatekeepers of the racial justice conversation, which means we might have to figure out, okay, if we're not going to be responsible for this, then what are we responsible for? What is our role? What is now our purpose in, in this community that we, that is being formed around us that we are a part of? So that was, that's the first thing that I think is really cool. But then in terms of the curriculum, you know, I'm really excited that one, we will be bringing in faculty from all different uh, walks of life, people who are in ministry now, people who teach at Pittsburgh Seminary, and they've got some great faculty there, people who teach at other seminaries. And so that for me is excited. Um, we're looking at some of the classes we have one about, um, it's called Rock Not Sand, deconstructing the false narratives that bind us while, you know, um, through means of creative disillusionment, which I think is, again, that's where we are right now. It's so relevant to this moment and it's very foundational to, um, the work that we're doing, uh, going forward. Um, Asking questions well, you know, looking at method and research, um, this whole idea of implosion as gift and taking on this apocalyptic moment and not seeing it just simply as a breaking down or um, a falling away, but also what is the gift that we're receiving in this moment and what does it mean to anchor ourselves and to grow through uh, this type of process as communities? Um, looking at being wholehearted. What does it mean to not just be a leader in position, but to really be authentic and to bring your whole self into this leadership model? And, you know, the reality is that a lot of us uh, as pastors and as religious professionals have taken on, you know, different ways of being in leadership and really looking at the fact that we feel like this moment is calling for us to be different in the world, not to just do different, you know, we could all do church, but to be different and to be wholehearted. Um, so we're focusing on that and, you know, also just getting really real about the systems that, that undergird ministry and that undergird culture and really get being clear eyed. Um, we call that class humble pie. So it's, you know, kind of swallowing the bitter pill and saying, okay, let's get really real about where we are and the systems that have allowed us to get here. And then how do we navigate those systems to change them, um, you know, into the world that we are envisioning, the world that is being created right now? Wow. 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 So um, there was a buzzword in all of what you said about this whole notion of decentering whiteness, right? I, when you said that, it was like, 
whoa, right? And I'm sure some of our listeners are like, whoa, what does that even mean? Like decentering whiteness and Christianity and church, like what does that even mean? And so my question is, how has whiteness been centered in Christianity or in church and people have not even like noticed it? Like, how is that even a thing that people can wrestle with or grapple with? Like, how, how has it shown up in some ways? And that I pose that question to, um, you know, to each of you, however you would like to answer that. Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> got time. <laughs> um, because, I, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, I just think that whiteness has been centered in Christianity, at least I will say um, in certain parts of Christianity in this country, for sure. Uh, I can't speak as much to other traditions in other parts of the world. Um, but here, I mean, I think uh, many of us at the seminary work sort of within a mainline Protestant environment. And um, of course, most of those denominations are predominantly white in terms of membership, but also just in terms of the traditions, the texts, um, the ways that we've been formed as religious leaders. So much of that, uh, it, me included, um, has been rooted in simply white ways of thinking and being um, and and as you say, so much so that most of us don't even realize it. It's sort of like asking the fish to reflect on the water, you know, because the water is just all around it. It can't really see it because it's in it. And I think that's how um, many forms of Christianity in our country are today. They, we tell ourselves that they are simply the traditions or the things we've inherited, that they're sort of neutral. But that just isn't so. Um, the, the truth is they've been formed primarily by white voices and um, white thinkers and texts written by white people, mostly men. Um, so, and that's particularly true in theological education. And I'm speaking here of theological education broadly, but um, I think most of our, our seminaries here in this country probably fall into that category. Uh, not all, but many do. And it's been a real challenge, I think, for those of us who work in the church, but also specifically in theological education, to start to recognize the ways in which whiteness actually really is intertwined with so much of what we do. And it can be quite painful, honestly, because many of us who work in these areas um, believe ourselves to be, and I think we are, committed to the ideals of justice and equality and it can be painful to realize the ways in which all the things we participated in, the structures we've helped support, um, the churches to which we've given our lives, uh, really are just so intertwined with these um, these ways of thinking that uphold whiteness as the norm. And I guess maybe that's the central thing there is, what does it mean to decenter whiteness? To me, it means trying to find ways to think and talk and live our faith that do not assume whiteness as the norm. Um, because I think that's so much of what our texts and traditions and church structures and so forth up to this point have done. Uh, it's not that they've necessarily been explicit in, um, you know, espousing racist ideology or something like that. It's more an assumption. It's more subtle than that. It's an assumption that whiteness is the norm and everything else is sort of a deviation from it. And that's what I think we have to try to get away from. Um, but I won't uh, I won't sugarcoat it. It's very, very difficult to extricate <laughs> all these structures and systems um, from those those forces. 
And um, in a way, what we're trying to do with this program is a risk for us too, because it is trying to step away from the the ways we've tended to do things in the past. And as Jennifer said, to really uh, try to to decenter whiteness and to bring in voices that have been marginalized, and to make sure that we are not inadvertently reinscribing those same norms of whiteness, um, because oftentimes that's what ends up happening. Yeah. And I would say, you know, you know, even in, you know, the, I'm in, like I said, I'm in the AME church and even in our traditions that, you know, when we look at some of the hymns that we sing and we look at, you know, some of the interpretations of scripture that we have been using, that we were raised with, that we could just, you know, we just recite them off the top of our head. And, you know, some of our favorite um, liturgies and things, when we really kind of peel back the layers and we look at the lyrics and what they mean and, and where they were written and who wrote them and what they were talking about, um, it's really kind of shocking to see, like um, um, Leanna was saying, these layers that we didn't even know they were that were there, and then the the messages that they communicate that we're not even aware of, and so really it's being intentional about holding the mirror up to ourselves and to our tradition to do the extra work of really looking to see what is this thing that has been so foundational, what is it that we've been kind of looking past or looking over or not even realizing you know, has been there. And I think that for anyone, particularly in this westernized culture, everybody has to do this work. Um, I remember last year I went to Egypt and we were going through some of the museums and we could literally see how there were periods of time where literally a hundred years before there were certain images and the people in the images were brown skin. And then a hundred or 200 years later, the same people depicted in another place, the image was light skinned, you know, whiter skinned. And it was a very intentional effort to kind of whitewash history and whitewash narratives. Well, it didn't just happen in Egypt. It's something that has happened all over the world. And so re, um, re-looking at texts, re-looking at our traditions and really seeing one, what is there, reconciling that, and then where do we go from here? Um, I think the value of um, elevating voices from the margins is that I think, you know, it's not that we'll ever be able to, it's not about saying, okay, we have to do away with these, these things. But I think it's about the honesty in one, admitting what is there, where we've been, what our history is, so then we can go forward with this clear-eyed vision. And so to me, that's what the the exciting um, thing about it is. And the opportunity, you know, to again, to um, bring some voices that have not been in the middle of the conversation to the floor, to be in conversation with these other narratives and to be centered, to really, to really look at it as foundational to um, who we are as, as people. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting as as you all were talking and speaking. Um it sounds like to me um 
if I check the temperature of, of where we are in the church and in the world, it's almost as if we are being pushed to have another great awakening. Um, you know, it's like the church and the world and even like American politics are waking up. Um, what are we waking up to on the other side? That's where it's going to take the faith and the risk and and trusting and believing um, that knowing that the past is what it is, right? That we can't rewrite and change the past, but we can acknowledge what has happened, things that have transpired. Um, and I'm speaking specifically for American Christianity and American churches, how things have happened. And now we are in a space where we are being called to the floor to in community, right? Because we can't do this work in silos. We can't do this work separate from one another. We have to be in community to continue to lead together to um, to bring God's God's world together, right? You know, just bringing like you know, how do we show up um, and bringing Jesus' church to to the forefront, right? And to be what we were called to be. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is a risk. It is a faithful risk that we have to make. Um, as you were speaking, I was thinking about how, um, the song Amazing Grace, like a, a hymn of the church that we all know, but thinking about how it was written by someone on a boat, a white man on a boat who had enslaved bodies immediately under his feet. It's like, how can we talk about the amazing grace of God and how God has saved life and and preserved life while having life in the palm of your hand in captivity, right? So these are like the questions that we that we would wrestle with in a program like this. And these are the types of things. It's like, how do we, given what history has written, given what history says, how do we look at it so that we can move forward, right? And and even um, as one who comes from a, a Baptist tradition, a, a, a Black Baptist tradition, looking at Sankofa, like how do we go back and retrieve our faith and look at faith, look at history and using that understanding that as a collective to make and build a bigger, brighter future. Um, and so doing that work together. And so I think that this is an amazing program. I do. I think that this is an ama- amazing work. I'm excited about the work you all are doing. Um, I would like to ask the question, how would people um, apply? How do they apply? How do they get involved? How do people get into this conversation and people who are what wh- who are ready to be students of this program how would they how would they do that um for anyone who's listening who's just like you know what I want to be a part of that you know either on this cycle or the next how do they get involved in that well um it's really pretty easy um we have a fully online application process and so people who are interested in the program you can go to our seminary website which is just Edu, and you can look for the Doctor of Ministry webpage there that will actually show you links to the different cohorts that we have um, forming right now, of which Risking Faithfully is one. And if you just click on that Risking Faithfully box, um, you'll get to a page that describes a lot of what we've talked about today in terms of the nature of the program, um, the different emphases that we really wanted to focus on, as well as the names of some of the courses, that type of thing. Um, And then there'll be a link there for the application. So if someone reads that, they decide they're really interested, they can click on that and just start their application right online. There's also information there to contact our um, doctor of ministry director, Denise Thorpe. And um, she would be more than happy to be in touch with folks who are interested. I know a big part of her job is just having conversations every day with um, students who are 
who are you know potentially interested in one of our programs, and she would be more than happy to talk with them. Um, I also would be very happy to talk with people. You can find my faculty page easily on the website. Um, I'm actually going to be serving as the faculty mentor for this program, which means that Jennifer and I will work closely together um, with the cohort just to make sure things are going well and to sort of oversee everybody's um, progress in the program. That will be my role to kind of make sure people have what they need to progress through the program. Um, in a timely way and, and just to have the supports that they need as they go along. Um, so I'm more than happy to talk with people and I imagine um, Jennifer would be too. Yep, most definitely. My role is to really um, help to build the community that the cohort will be will become. And, you know, the thing that I'm very aware of is, again, it's, it's like you said, Portia, you know, it's a risk. There are risks that will be taken. There will be discomfort. There will be disillusionment. There will be you know, moments of reckoning, there will be tough conversations, there will be all of these things. Um, but to me, the thought of being very intentional about that and doing it in community is really energizing um, to me. Um, I feel like what has been really exciting as well as frustrating, I think, about this time is, you know, the fact that so many things are being revealed and so it's almost like these things that you kind of knew in the back of your mind that you kind of saw under the surface, you weren't really sure, you know, it's, it's coming to, to fruition and you're like, okay, this I realize now, here it is in front of me. And so charting the way forward together is, is something that I think is going to be exciting. And so I'm really excited to meet the students who will become a part of this program to walk alongside and build community and, um, I'm especially excited by the opportunity to um, to really envision and reimagine. You know, we don't we don't explicitly get the opportunity to do that a lot. I think, particularly in the church community, so much when we say reimagine, a lot of times it means like, so we're not going to do what we did last year. We're going to do what we did two years ago and bring that back. Um, but this is a real uh, looking forward. So that's really exciting to me. Oh, that's so wonderful. And so. Um... As a kind of wrap up question, I want you um each of you to think and to uh, go into that great uh, piece of your imagination as you will think toward the graduation of your first cohort. Right. Even as this cohort is is is, is in the incubator phase as they are forming even right now, I want you to think about the day that they graduate. Right. Even even before they're enrolled, I want you to just think about their day. What is the hope that you hope and pray and believe and, and that you want them to walk away with on that day? What, what is your hope for them on their graduation day? That's a really good question. Um, probably there will be a lot of things that will come to my mind over time. But right now, what I keep coming back to is, is I really hope that the students who graduate from this program will be just able to walk out into the world, back into their ministry contexts, um, and feel like they can live more out of a space of courage and curiosity than of fear. And right now, I feel like there's so much fear and anxiety, <laughs> for good reason. I don't want to be dismissive, but so much fear and anxiety is driving so many of our decisions at the moment. And I think that, um, especially, I would say, in the mainline Protestant church, so much of our activity over the last 
say 30 years has been around anxiety about decline. And um, again, that's understandable. And I understand the loss and the grief that comes with that. But I would love for our students who graduate from this cohort to be able to act more out of that place of courage and curiosity, of being willing to take risks like we've talked about, to be bold, and to really feel like they can step into what it is God's calling them to do, to figure out what God is already doing in their ministry context and to join God in that work, um, rather than feeling like they alone are responsible for the success or failure of their congregation, because I think so many pastors and other ministry leaders feel that way. Um, so in a way, what I'm describing is not, you notice, it's not so much about content or, or academic subjects. It's more about a way of being. And that's that's what I really hope for our students who um, who will go through this cohort. Um, when I think about that, and I love this question, um, I think about there's a scripture in Acts that talks about these who have turned this world upside down. And um, I think about one, people who have built their capacity for risk and for um, boldness, who have become courageous in their call and their um, mission and their work in the world. Um, one of the aspects that I think is really cool is that people will have an opportunity to really um, um, to kind of look at their call anew, afresh, I guess you could say, and come up with new ideas for ministry and how you see your call personally in the world changing? Do you feel called to write now? Are you going to be, you know, do you feel the need to paint now? Are you now a podcaster? Like where is God taking you um, that allows you to really use your gifts? Um, so building that capacity, um, but then also building the confidence to be leaders and to be um church leaders, religious leaders, spiritual leaders in a world that is more and more secular every day. To be able to stand in the divide. Now our country is so divided in so many ways, but to as faith leaders be able to stand in the divide, not timidly and not shy, but boldly knowing that we have the capacity and, you know, with the power of the Holy Spirit, we are here to, to do this work and to, to bring people together in a way that is authentic to who we are, that is clear eyed in terms of where we've been, but is also really committed and energized about the new creation that God is bringing, you know, to pass. Um, so that's what what I I envision, and that's what I would love to see. Um, and just you know the creative energy. You know, I think sometimes we take for granted the creative energy and the creative force that we are um, imbued with, and that we don't really take that seriously. And so I would love to see people that are really leaning into that, especially folks that haven't really leaned into that before. So. That's what I would like to see. Oh, that is so beautiful. That is beautiful. My hope and my prayer for you all as leaders and facilitators is that you will continue to remember your why. 
my hope and my prayer for you is to remember the why, the why you all said yes to this risk. And on that day when they graduate, when the first cohort graduates, that you can look at each other and say, wow, look what God done did. That's my (laughs) prayer for you all on that day. And I look forward to just, you know, witnessing the journey and what God will do through you all in this program and what Pittsburgh will continue to do as a pioneer in the theological education community. And so it has been so great joining in with you all. And um, yeah, if you could just drop that information of the website, what is the website and how people can uh, find you all once again? Mm-hmm. It's pts.edu. And you just look for the Doctor of Ministry page on the website there and everything you need should be right there for you. Wonderful. I'll make sure to link that in the description box. And thank you all for being here. I am so grateful and so very thankful to God be all of the glory. Wasn't that such a great episode? That was an amazing, amazing interview. Thank you so much to Dr. Fuller. Thank you so much to Reverend Maxell for joining me in this conversation. And shout out to Pittsburgh Theological Seminary and the upcoming program, Risking Faithfully. And so I want to just ask you to, as we depart from today, think about how are you risking faithfully? How are you showing up in the world? How are you living into your call? How is God calling you? And so, yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining me. Make sure you are following me on social media over at Portionality everywhere on every platform, whether you are on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Clubhouse, follow me everywhere. Make sure you go over to Portionality.com for any audio or production or any type of media needs. And please, 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 if you would, please rate, comment and subscribe. And I will see you all on the next one. Thanks so much. Blessings.